Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad you're here. And also a welcome to those of you listening on our podcast, which have become quite popular. I thank you as well for being here. I'm going to start off today uh, with a quote from Ernest Holmes, the founder of the Science of Mind. This is from his book called Religious Science, published in 1932. He says, the divine plan is one of freedom. Bondage is not God-ordained. Freedom is the birthright of every living soul. All instinctively feel this. The truth always points to freedom. Thus, the inherent nature of humankind is forever seeking to express itself in terms of freedom. We shall do well to listen to this inner voice, for it tells us of a life wonderful in its scope, of a love beyond our fondest dreams, and of a freedom that our soul craves. Well, okay, so uh, that's a lovely quote and all, but how often do we actually feel in everyday life that sense of freedom? How often do we allow some of the obligations that we have, some of the circumstances that we have, uh, some of the uh, life experiences that have uh, chalked up uh, to sort of block us from feeling that level of unfettered freedom? This month, we're using uh, Beth Kempton's book, Freedom Seeker. Uh, I picked it out for a couple different reasons. First, uh, I like her voice. Uh, uh, she, uh, she, she's a, a, a young woman who, who has written it, uh, quite an adventuresome soul. Some of her stories you'll particularly enjoy, whether it's climbing in the mountains of Bhutan uh, or raising her children. Uh, some great stories in there. Uh, but the real reason I picked it, I think, was because she gives us some hands-on advice, if you will, some actual tools that we can use for regaining some of the freedoms that perhaps um, we're struggling with. So how many people here would say that you live the unfettered life, that you already feel pretty darn free? So yeah, so, so a good measure of people. I want to start off then with just a little bit of a test. Uh, if you will. So close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you three questions, uh, and I want you just to answer the questions in your own mind, not out loud, but uh, just in your own mind. And the the test, the questions, are to, to really see how free you are. So it's an easy test. First question, are there people or things in your life that are keeping you from living exactly the way you want to live? Now, it might be a money issue, it could be a relationship issue, it could be the job you're in or responsibilities, family obligations. The question is, are there people or things in your life that are keeping you from living exactly the way you wish to live? So think about that one. Question number two, am I being prevented from living to my full potential because of something? So am I being prevented from living up to my full potential because of something that's going on? It could be your gender, your background, your age, your class, your income, your race, your location, your status, visible characteristics. Am I being prevented from living up to my full potential because of something, some circumstance. And then the third question, am I trapped in an unwanted situation? 
Am I single when I wish I was married? Am I disabled when I wish uh, I was completely whole? Am I unemployed or ill or are things going on that really are, uh, is an unwanted situation that's impacting your life? So that's number three. Am I trapped in an unwanted situation? Okay, you can open your eyes now. So given those set of questions, who here can still say that you live really a gloriously unfettered life? Still a few of you. Very nice, very nice. Oh, and some of you are kind of going, mm, uh, and, and I want to talk about that for a minute. Uh, in fact, I'm going to lead off with a, a quote from the book here that'll help explain why some of us actually had a, a difficult time answering that question. So uh, here's a, sort of the purpose of the book, if you will. Uh, she says, the figure of a bird escaping from a cage has symbolized the fear and bravery of the human condition for just as long as there have been bird cages. Uh, but to me, the metaphor falls short. It suggests that it's either in the cage or out of the cage, trapped or free. But that's not really how it works. And that's why some of you had trouble answering that question, right? There might be some area of your life where you do feel an unwanted obligation. There may be some part of your life that does feel like it has constraints that are keeping you from being your best self. And then there are other places in your life where, of course, you feel gloriously free. Uh, there, there might be the person, for instance, who feels really trapped in a job that they don't like, but come five o'clock, it's like, whee, my life is wonderful. Do you know what I mean? So, so I can easily see where some people are neither in the cage nor out of the cage. There is that element of this one part of my life. Maybe it's a, a, a physical malady that's, uh, that's keeping you from doing the things you want. Maybe it's uh, the level of your financing that is not allowing you to express yourself, your life. But, but otherwise, maybe your relationships are going well. Maybe other things are going well. So there can be that absolute sense of being caged in one part of your life, not so much in some other part of your life. The other thing I'd like to test out on you is, uh, where did the cage come from? And did it happen all at once, or was it little by little? Let's talk about that for a minute. Now, sometimes that sense of bondage, that sense of uh, too many obligations do happen just in an instant. You can have a loved one become ill and require around-the-clock uh, medical care, and suddenly you go from being fancy and free to, oh my gosh, I literally have a 24-hour, seven days a week obligation here. It's going to change my whole life, right? Or in an instant, you could lose a job, for instance. Uh, one moment, you're, uh, you're going along, paying all of your bills, feeling good and secure in a job. Literally, the next moment, how do I make the house payment? How do I do what I need to do? That sense of complete overwhelm can be there. But I also want to suggest that that's not the only way that the cage appears. It can be so gradual that you don't even know you're in a cage. I remember my own experience for almost 20 years at the telephone company. Oh my gosh, I loved it when it was called Pacific Northwest Bell. Are any of you long en old enough to actually remember when it was called? I mean, it's changed its names and its company identity so many times, but 
oh my gosh, I love that place. It, uh, it was an equal opportunity uh, employer. It, it was the first place I worked that was fine with me being gay and, and, and all that that meant. Uh, uh, promotions were, uh, were available for people who, who wanted to work hard. The company celebrated your birthday and your, the anniversary uh, of being a, a member of that company. And it wasn't until I would have been celebrating my 15th or 16th year at the telephone company that I realized they weren't celebrating that anymore. And I realized that I was no longer getting a little pin for my perfect attendance. And I realized I hadn't gotten a raise in about six years. (laughs) And I realized I had just the worst boss ever. And it suddenly dawned on me, holy heck, I'm in a prison. Now that didn't happen over day, over, uh, overnight. The policies changed little by little. The management structure changed little by little. The, the kind of outlook of the company changed little by little. The corporate culture changed little by little. I can't put my finger when I really, like when the cage door closed. <laughs> but all I re- uh, what I do remember is in that moment thinking, I should just quit this place. Why am I here? And then suddenly the weight of my whole life was there on my shoulders. How do I make my car payment? How do I uh, contribute to, to my mom's uh, care? She was, she was fairly ill at the time and unable to meet all of her financial obligations. How do I do all these things? It felt like the door just clanged shut. Now I want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea of the cage versus the caged bird, if you know what I mean. So, so there's a part of this idea of, of being overwhelmed with responsibilities or having to do the things you don't want to do. There's a part of it that is simply factual. And in the book, Beth Kempton talks about this as your context. Sometimes you can change your context, but often not. Uh, for me, at that point in uh, my life, uh, just quitting my job without an idea of where I would work or an offer of a job just wasn't really very realistic. And so that would have been my context. My context was I'm employed at Pacific Northwest Bell for, for 15 years, uh, and I have uh, a mortgage payment that's X amount. I'm contributing uh, to my mom's welfare X amount. I have these other obligations, these bills, and so on. Uh, that was the context. That was the the cage, if you will. But there's also the bird in the cage, and the bird in the cage is how you're feeling about it. The bird in the cage was that sense of overwhelm that I had, that literally that day when I added up all the things I didn't. I I mean, it gradually had happened, right? It wasn't that the company changed overnight. It was my attitude towards the company that suddenly changed when I added up all the things I didn't like about it anymore. When I added up the the whole schmear, if you will, of reasons why it wasn't such a good company to be in anymore, and yet my financial obligations that I perceived outward to the world, suddenly, even though it wasn't sudden, the the caged bird felt caged, even though it wasn't any different than the day before. 
So the reason we separate the circumstances, the cage, if you will, from the bird itself is because sometimes we can't change the cage. Sometimes we can't change our circumstances. Sometimes we're, we're simply signed up, if you will, for uh, an obligation. And although we could make the choice to undo that, we could make the choice to abandon our family. We could make the choice to become a, a beach bum um, somewhere and leave everything behind. Probably not. Probably when we look at it, we go, oh, well, yeah, I have that choice, but it isn't much of a choice. The reason we separate that from the way the caged bird feels is we always, always can change how the bird feels. That part of freedom is 100% an inside job. Now, I want to caution you. This isn't me giving you advice to feel good about being oppressed, <laughs> right? There is, th that, that can be an element, right? And I'm not suggesting we should feel good about being oppressed. But what I am saying is, if we're all in for something, we might as well feel good about it. If we are going to stay in that job, why would I not want to do whatever I can to feel good about it, to do a good job of it, to be fully present of it, to begin shifting my thinking if necessary so that I can have a good time there? Now, this isn't excuse for bad behavior. Let's say maybe you're in a job where literally you're being abused. I don't want you to somehow change it around in your head. It's okay to be abused. Like, no way. That probably is a job. You should just quit, even if it puts you in that awkward, perhaps untenable place of, well, how do I pay my bills? But still, there are some things that just should not be endured, and only you know what those are, but you don't need to cross that line. No, what I'm suggesting, though, is when it's a cage that we have walked into and say, well, you know, this marriage may not be exactly what I thought it would be, but I still want to be in it. Then I would say, what do we need cha to change within ourselves so that we can really dig it, so that it can be there for us? I may not have liked exactly where this job with the telephone company went, but it's still providing me a great salary. It's still doing a lot of the things that I want. Why would I want to have a miserable time here? What I, why would I want to reorient myself? In fact, are any of you in jobs where the break room is like one big complaining session? <laughs> a couple of you. Well, that was what I noticed those, fi those final t a couple of years I was at the telephone company. I would go to the break room and that wasn't a break I wanted to take. <laughs> All the people were doing were saying how horrible everything was. And I decided to myself, I can make a difference here. You know, as long as I'm going to be here, I should make the best of here. So we're going to do two things this month. We're first of all going to give you some tools, I think, for making good decisions. So if you do want to literally fly the coop, uh, you might have some more tools for making good decisions. But for those of you who don't want to fly the coop, I think we're going to also have some tools for then finding the enjoyment in life right where we are, for allowing ourselves to begin feeling some freedom, even if the circumstances don't change drastically. Make sense? All right, uh, so another Ernest Holmes quote. 
The limitations we find encircling us have but one source. They spring from our thinking. They are the result of our negative habitual thought patterns, conscious or tucked away in our subconscious, which may have been instigated by our past experience or the blind acceptance of what now appears to be the wrong ideas and concepts of others. I want to talk about that for a minute. One of the cages that we can find ourselves in aren't even particularly of our making. They're us assuming that what is right for other people ought to be right for us. Have you ever had someone come to you and say, oh, no, 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 that's just not the way that's done. <laughs> I remember seeing when, uh, so, so I'm a, a sort of a Winco shopper, and for those of you who go to Winco, you know there's lots of family groups that, that end up in Winco shopping together. And, and the other day I was there, and there was this woman with uh, two or three little kids, and, and I do have to say, the kids were uh, a little bit crazy, you know, to be out in public. But of course, I love kids. I was, I was sort of watching the perspective, if these were my kids, could I do any better than this woman was doing? And I finally came up with the answer, no. <laughs> She's doing just as good as she can, and bless her. Uh, but there was this other, uh, uh, other woman observing this woman who had the big disapproval face, right? And she went over to instruct this woman on how her children could behave better. <laughs> you can guess how well that worked, right? But I was glad that the woman just stood in her power and said, look, you know, this is my business. These are my kids. It may not be a perfect situation, but I'm here and I'm in it and I'm going to, I'm going to make the best of it. You know, go and shop, <laughs> you know, leave me alone. But I would like to suggest to you, we get messages like that from friends and family that sometimes we take on. Sometimes we think that we have to be like that perfect mother. Sometimes we have, think that we have to be like that perfect wife or that perfect husband. Sometimes when we look around us at other workers in our job, we think that we have to be the one with perfect attendance or that, that has the highest sales goals in the, in, in the whole division or whatever it is. And yet sometimes we're not that person. And that's a miserable situation to be in. If you think of yourself as never up to someone else's standards, oh my gosh, the self-talk you can end up with, the miserable existence of never being good enough, never being lovable enough, never being joyous enough, never being perfect enough or clean enough or, or whatever it is, right? And aren't there w people willing to tell you <laughs> exactly how not quite enough you are? Well, that's another kind of cage that we can find ourselves in. We can find ourselves in a cage that perhaps we've walked into it, but someone else has built it for us. Someone else has designed the bars and explained how it works and, and maybe even, you know, tucked the door in behind us. You know, welcome to our world here. But it's not your world. And so I would suggest, like the mom at Winco, that one might be easier for us to exit when we realize it's not our cage. That we have the power to be our own unique and powerful and authentic selves. 
Does it really hurt anyone if my house isn't as clean as the ones I see in House Beautiful magazine? Does it, does it mean I'm a bad person if my kids are a little more rowdy and winco? Only if I think so. Only if I accept it. So what we're going to find for the rest of this month, we're going to do a few things that I think you'll enjoy. First of all, we're going to begin examining some of our thoughts, some of our beliefs about what is proper for us. My thought is only you know what's proper for you. And yet we have a whole world out here telling us how we should look, how we should behave, how much money we should have, what neighborhoods are good, what neighborhoods are bad, who's suspicious and who's not, uh, judgments on how we look, the color of our skin, the amount of money. It goes on, it goes on, and it goes on. And we're going to be challenged this month for you to define what is right for you. That's one of the ways that we can eliminate the cage by at least having it be a design of your own. And when you're in your own situation and you're aware of it, then it's not a cage anymore. That's actually what we call authentic living because it's your design. It's your way of being. It's your flavor. It's your joy. It's what you have to offer to the universe. And so we need to know what that is lest we walk into someone else's cage. The other thing we're going to do this month, of course, though, uh, is the idea just of seeking freedom. It's the title of the book. We can actively seek freedom and be released from our cage. All right, it's time for the joke. (laughs) And you will discover in a moment why this joke actually fits and might be a bad news joke. Uh, But a father and his small son were standing in front of the tiger's cage at the zoo. The father was explaining how ferocious and strong tigers are, how fast they can run, how sharp their claws are. Well, Junior was taking it all in with a little bit of a serious expression. The dad hadn't really realized the son's somber face as he was describing this fearsome creature. Well, can the cage hold him, asked the boy. Let's hope so, said the father. Well, the boy seemed unsure about asking any other questions, probably just wanted to get out of there. But he finally did ask one last question. Dad, he said, if the tiger got out of the cage, if the tiger ate you, yes, son, what bus should I take to get home? (laughs) Phew. (laughs) That could have gone much worse. (laughs) My point is, though, Are we actually ready to get out of the cage? Are we actually ready for freedom? Part of a cage is just that it's familiar. In fact, they've done studies with caged animals. Most of them, if you open the cage, they won't get out of it. Most of them, even if the cage door has been open for a really long time, it isn't until the zookeeper or the one in charge of the cage introduces changes in their habits. You know, well, we'll start feeding them outside of the cage. Well, we'll make a nice bed for them outside of the cage. And even then, animals that have been set free will often go great distances to come back to the cage. It's what they're used to. It's what feels safe. It's what feels comfortable. It's part of the routine. 
Some of you, when we did our question exercise, probably came up with some really good situations that you would well to be out of. But if that situation changed, would you perhaps just find another cage? You've probably heard of people that have gotten out of bad relationships, just got into another bad one. People who have quit a terrible job and gotten one that was even worse. Even when their friend said, you don't want that job. You don't want that girlfriend. Are you crazy? Like, like a bee drawn to honey, we can be drawn into some of these cages of our own making because they're familiar. They're what we've done for most of our lives. They're comfortable. They seem safe. Nancy's giving me a really stinky look and I, and I get it because I don't like thinking of myself that way either. But what I recognize is there is a truth to that. What's familiar to us often seems safe and what seems safe to us often we're hesitant just to throw the spanner in and take a chance on something brand new. Even if the job is stinky, we're a little worried about what the next job could be like. We're a little bit worried, could it get worse instead of better? The other thing though with the idea of the tiger in the cage is getting out requires a certain amount of fierceness, a certain amount of stand upableness for want of a better word, when I think of that mom in Winco, just standing in her power and saying, you know, back off, lady. <laughs> These are my kids. They may not be perfect, but I love them just the way they are. That took a lot of oomph, I think. And for most of us to get out of our cage, that level of oomph and standing in our power is also going to be required. How used, to we, how used are we to doing that? Sometimes in some areas of our life we're used to it, but my guess is in the areas where we experience the cagedness, we're not used to it at all. Can I really stand in my power when I don't know what it will be like to be free? Can I stand in my idea of freedom, in the perfect job or a better relationship? Can I really stand in the truth of that when I haven't even experienced it yet? So this month, we're going to do a few things around that. First of all, I'm going to be giving you each week a, a different set of a, a couple tools that we can use to evaluate our, our condition, right, the, the cage. And then I'm going to also be giving us a couple tools around our own psyches, around our own consciousness, around our own thinking about being in the cage. Because I think it takes both. I think it takes the combination of a willingness to change our circumstances when that's appropriate, uh, w w when, uh, w when it truly won't, you know, mess up our lives entirely. I'm not advocating, again, that we become uh, beach bums in the Caribbean and leave our families and jobs all behind. Although that does kind of sound sweet. <laughs> uh, but I think the combination of knowing when you do need to make a change on the outside, and more importantly, what we can do to be satisfied once we've decided, no, I'm into this. This is the way I want to live my life. This can authentically be me in this relationship or in this job. How then can I start finding the joy in it? How can I see the freedom in it even when it has some complications? So I think we're going to have a, a reasonable time uh, this month. Let me do a quick summary here. First, we've defined bondage. We've decide, uh, defined that idea of not being free as anything that limits or prevents us from living our best and authentic lives. 
We've seen that the bars of our cage might have come all at once or little by little. We understand that sometimes we might not even know we're in the cage if it came little by little by little. We've separated our situation from how we feel about it. We've separated the cage from the feelings of the bird. And then finally, we're ready to start looking at our caged thinking. We're willing to start understanding that sometimes it's how I think about my situation that is way more important than the situation itself. That changing in our belief can release the feeling of being trapped. Okay, on to homework. So what is your current most limiting situation? Now, I totally get that it's not just in the cage or out of the cage. There may be some areas of your life that are working so well where there's such a sense of love and freedom and support and so on. So I'm just asking you to see what is your currently most limiting situation. Do you feel tied down to a living situation? Do you feel um, that maybe your financial situation has you boxed in a bit? It could be any variety of things. But define your most limiting situation. And then I want you to do that two-part thing of dividing up the cage from the bird. So so whatever is the facts, yes, I live on my social security check, or yes, I have a disability, those would be the facts. But then what's the, the caged bird thinking about it? Therefore, I'm helpless. Therefore, I don't see a way um, that I can authentically be me. Therefore, I'm prevented from being loving or joyous or giving to my family or whatever it is. So, so the homework is three parts. Limiting situation. What's the context? What's the facts about it? And then how do you feel about it? How do you sense that cagedness? And then next week, we'll start talking about tools um, to actually make a change. Make sense? So I'm going to close with a, a final quote from Beth Kempton uh, and a prayer. She says, your free self is always flying nearby. It's always calling to you. It's trying to show you how beautiful the world is outside the cage. Sometimes your free self comes to you as a memory, or it shows up as a daydream, or a simple desire for changes in your life. Sometimes it's just a feeling like a small child tugging at your sleeve. You don't have to wait for your free self to show up. You can invite them in. You can imagine your free self and call them back. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness, one uh, consciousness of the universe. I call it God, but it, of course it goes by any number of names. What I know about it is that it is omnipresent. It's in all that we do, all that we see. It, it is all that we are. And because of this unity, because of this understanding of uh, no separation between any of us or anything, I recognize there can be total freedom. I recognize it is the nature, our birthright, if you will, to be free. And so I own that for myself. I recognize that my choices and my thinking create the freedom or lack thereof that I experience in the world. But it is through my choice. It is through a power and a connection that I have with spirit. As it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here gets to make the decision and have the thought processes that create both freedom and bondage. 
that allow us to have that sense of being our best selves, of, of being the unfettered uh, um, uh, kind of life that we like to live, being our, our truly our best self and our authentic self. And so for this, this week and beyond for this month, I know there's a willingness in each of our hearts to accept these ideas of freedom, uh, to willingness to climb out of the cages sometimes, especially the ones of our own making uh, or the makings of other people, to really authentically look at our lives and to begin that conscious living that brings that sense of freedom. And so for this, I'm grateful. Uh, for this, I simply release this prayer into the action and activity of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.